I am completing tonight the Bill Mahoney trilogy. So we had Went, we had Hearst, and I have Scott Hennessy joining me. Evening anchor from KCOY, and is it KXFX in uh, Santa Barbara on the Central Coast? Yeah, KKFX, we have the, the, the CBS and the Fox affiliate here, and I get to do the news on both of those. And it's, all, it's funny that when you and I worked together doing play-by-play for Riverside uh, High School Sports on Riverside City TV, yeah. I don't think that we knew our other connections there with, with Steve and, and Matt, which uh, came up years later. I said to Steve, hey, you know Gazal, and turned out he did. So that, it's kind of fun to uh, run around in some of the same circles. They tell you, right? You just Everybody knows everybody, and it's, it's really funny how that all comes together. And I mean, I, I've known Bill Mahoney probably since I was 20 years old. And okay. he, he, you know, and I, I just saw Bill this year. Obviously, we went up to Santa Barbara and Bill Mahoney, the fine SID for many years for UC Santa Barbara, who I think is kind of coming to the end in terms of retiring very soon. Um, and yeah, it's always funny because there's so many guys, you know, Tyler Guyvette's a Bill Mahoney guy. And, you know, he's got new young guys every year coming up in the business. So. I always found that very interesting. You know, it was obviously a great coincidence that the three of you all knew each other, but also your connection to Bill and just UC Santa Barbara in general. So, and you're back. How's it to be yeah. back at Big College Town? Yeah, I'm back. Uh, we love it here. My wife and I, and we're raising our two kids here with a 13 year old boy and an 11 year old girl. And um, yeah, Matt and Steve and I both were all worked at the Daily Nexus uh, student newspaper and a KCSB student radio station. So even though UC Santa Barbara doesn't have a journalism or a broadcasting program, we all took advantage of those student-run places to really kind of get our feet wet and get started in journalism and in broadcasting, and it was really a great place to be. I, same thing, going to UC Irvine, there's no communications program, there's no broadcasting program, and I think it's different now, I guess. I, I believe that was an advantage for you and I. Because if you go to a school that has a program like that, schlubs like you and I, they turn us away at the newspaper yeah. and at the radio stations. I, you know, I think my third day on campus at UC Irvine, I stumbled into the radio station and then ended up hanging out, hanging out there for three years and picked up a degree along the way. Right. Yeah. If you keep showing up and asking them to do something, eventually you'll get something. Right. And I remember I. I that's what I did, and eventually at the newspaper they sent me out to cover uh, women's field hockey, and then it was uh, swimming and softball and volleyball and basketball, and then you know all the rest. And I certainly have heard stories of people who have gone to other big schools. I know someone who went to Syracuse, which is known as the best yeah. broadcasting school, and certainly it, it is. But sometimes you have to wait in line so long you don't get your chance even at a place like that. And I remember for myself. I had heard of the uh, Cronkite School of Broadcasting at Arizona State when I was in high school and talked to my parents about maybe applying to ASU. And my dad sat me down and showed me how much it costs for out-of-state tuition versus in-state tuition. And it was just going to be a little bit out of our reach. So instead of taking on all that debt, I said, let's go to Santa Barbara where I have some friends. It's a beautiful place. And I can go work at the school newspaper and figure it out for myself. So for better or worse, that's what happened. Uh, can't go wrong with Ala Vista. I mean, you can go wrong with Ala Vista, but I mean, in general. <laughs> but there's a lot of fun things you can do along the way. <laughs> um, well, before we get, we're going to talk about uh, White Men Can't Jump, Ron Shelton. We just did, I just did Bull Durham with her, so it's, it's, it's fitting that we do another Ron Shelton movie. But, so you're, you know, you're a news anchor right now, yeah. and we're kind of, you know, you're, speaking of the, the, the school paper at UC Santa Barbara, you are in the nexus of this of this COVID-19 situation, how have things changed for you? You know, you're working on the station on the hill. It's a, it's a great facility there where you guys work and, and put together this newscast every night. How the last, how's the last couple of weeks been for you in terms of the day job? Well, we're doing our best to tell all of the stories of how this insidious virus is affecting people. And it has been so difficult on so many folks who are out of work and certainly those who are getting sick and everyone in the healthcare community who is out there taking care of people, the emergency room doctors and nurses and everyone else who is really putting themselves at risk to treat others. You know, we're doing our best to tell all of those stories. I interviewed an emergency room doctor myself the other day who happens to be a friend of mine. He lives here in Santa Barbara and works in Los Angeles. And he tells me, you know, he gets more and more respect for this virus. 
uh, every day. You know, someone can show two people can show up older, uh, similar age, uh, treat them both, send them home. They have the early symptoms. The next day, one is fine, but the other one comes back and is much worse and all of a sudden needs to go on a ventilator. So, you know, talking to these people uh, certainly elevates my respect for, for what we're dealing with here. And it's been this major disruption to life. So as far as what how it's changed what we do, um, we're doing social distancing in our newsroom and a lot of people are working from home uh, where normally we're going to have, I don't know, 30, 40 people coming in to work in our newsroom on, on a given day. Now it's it's far less. We're having meetings over the phone. We're having only one news anchor on the desk at a time instead of two. The weather person does not come and sit down next to us. We're all, you've, you've seen as you watch the news in Los Angeles or where you live in that market, everyone is keeping their distance. And certainly when we're out reporting, we're trying to keep our distance and always washing hands and taking all the precautions that, that everyone is taking. But we know that right now there's a big responsibility to tell the stories of what's going on out there and give the people accurate, up-to-date information. We cover Santa Barbara County, San Luis Obispo County, and then also parts of Ventura County. Uh, each of those counties have different amounts of people who have the virus. They're, they're giving updates each day. We're providing them that information through these live press conferences. So it's it's been different, but also very, very busy and very kind of humbling work to do every day uh, throughout the last couple of weeks. I will say this, compared to what I've seen from other states, it seems that at least in this state, in the state of California, the information has been disseminated fairly quickly and you know, and fairly ambitiously uh, in terms of the press conferences and the information from from governors to mayors. Uh, it seems to be, uh, and I, you know, and like you, it's we get new stuff every day. There's new information coming out every day, and a lot of it is sometimes pretty difficult to process. But I'll give you know Governor Newsom and the mayor's credit. You know, Mayor Garcetti here in the city of Los Angeles, they're at least getting the information out as they get it. You know, whether they're getting it fast enough, you know, may 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 become an issue later. But they're trying to be responsible with giving information that 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 is legitimate as opposed to throwing out theories that may may strike string a panic yeah and everything has moved so fast as as you know too because um i was in indian wells at the big tennis tournament there which i've covered and attended for many many years i used to live in the palm springs palm desert area and i covered the bmp paribas open for over a decade and this year my son uh, was all set to be a ball kid for it so we were there in the days prior to the tournament starting, and he was a ball kid for a challenger warm-up tournament there. And we were there on Sunday, I think it was maybe March 9th, somewhere in there. And when we're driving home, we get the text and the email on a Sunday, they've canceled the tournament, postponed the tournament because of the coronavirus, because one person in Riverside County uh, had coronavirus and they said we can't put on this two-week tournament We're, we see where this is going and at the time that was really the first big event that canceled and it wasn't on everybody's radar tennis is a bit of a niche sport it's, it's important mm -hmm. to me i play all the time and but there are people from around the world that come to this event and there's older people as well so they're concerned and they did the right thing but at the time i said whoa and then i don't think it was more than two days later i think it was on a tuesday night maybe a couple days later when you have Rudy Gobert testing positive and then uh, the trainer running out onto the floor, pulling everybody back. And then later that night, the, the NBA season postponed. Tom Hanks all of a sudden announced he has coronavirus. And then it just becomes this whole other thing. And really kind of sports canceling big events, the NCAA tournament being canceled, all of this really kind of woke everybody up, I think, to what we're actually dealing with here. I was in a hotel. I was in the Anaheim Hilton getting ready for the Big West Tournament. And I was in the hotel room. My broadcast partner and I were watching ESPN. And we saw Rudy Gobert, you know, the Rudy Gobert story. The NBA canceled the season. I looked at my broadcast partner and said, we're, we're not calling a game. We had the noon game. It was supposed to be CSUN against Cal State Fullerton. It was about 10 o'clock on Wednesday night. I turned to my partner and I said, we're not calling a game tomorrow. You know, yeah. we're not, we're not going to be, we're, we're not playing tomorrow. At that point, the Big West had already determined there were going to be no 
fans in the stands. So they, yeah. they were going to play in an empty arena at that point. And as soon as the NBA canceled their season, I was convinced this is not going to happen. Um, our game was scheduled at noon. So Thursday morning, we get we had a bus a call to the bus at 1020. So we're going to get on the bus at 1020 to go to the arena for the 12 o'clock game. And uh, the Big West came down about 10 minutes before 10 o'clock and said, yeah, we're canceling the tournament. So I was in a similar situation to you. And then it was a quick meeting and then everybody went home. Um, so, yeah, it's just a really unique, unique situation. And you're looking forward to this. This is one of your bigger events. You're going to go. You're going to broadcast, you know, and then all of a sudden it's gone. You know, I feel so bad for people like yourself who had these big things, big jobs that you're looking forward to doing. You know, all the seniors, of course, who don't get to play, all the fans who are going to go and watch. You know, I mean, I can't wait until we hear voices like yours, call basketball, baseball, like Steve went. You know, once you guys are back to work, I mean, everybody's going to know that things are okay again. You know, I'm really looking forward Hopefully, to that. Hopefully, yeah, I, I, yeah, I agree. I feel, I feel, feel you. Well, let's get into it. Um, Ron Shelton, White Men Can't Jump, 1992. Wesley Snipes, Woody Harrelson, Rosie Perez. I mean, it's a classic. I, I rewatched it on Sunday. I went back and watched it again. And there's yeah. so many good, there's so many good parts to it. Now, I'll ask you. So, we worked football together. You're a football guy. You're a high school right. quarterback. Um, right. Tell me, how did the affinity for this movie, where, where did it begin, Scott? Well, I played basketball a lot as a kid, too. I played on my high school team. I played at parks. I grew up in Alameda, California, um, which is, uh, you know, it's an island. It's a little secluded, but when you go over the bridge, you're in Oakland. So, you know, I, I've been around similar type of uh, trash talk, uh, as you see, uh, as most people have who've played basketball and I've played countless games of basketball at the park, um, in the gyms, everywhere. My dad was a football coach and my brother was a football coach and I, and I played football, but I think basketball really is my favorite sport to watch and, and, and to play. And this movie is hilarious, uh, and it's fun. And, um, you know, it's a movie as well about guys who kind of, uh, like to hustle, right? They, they like to, uh, talk a little trash, make a buck, pull one over on another guy, you know, and uh, movies similar to it, like, um, I don't know, Tin Cup, you know, I like that kind of movie too, um, uh, Color of Money, you know, th those are all kind of interesting stories to me. It was interesting because we were talking yesterday about Bull Durham, and there's there's always a sports element to a sports movie, but a good sports movie, as you mentioned, just always has that other angle, and the hustle angle is so great. We open the movie, and here's Woody Harrelson parking his car in Venice Beach, and he's walking down to find the you know the, the famous court at Venice Beach where the, all the pickup games happen, and there we meet uh, you know Woody Harrelson, Billy Hoyle is kind of you know he's got the he's got the backwards hat and he's got the oversized shirt and then we see you know Wesley Snipes who's magnificent in this movie is Sidney Dean kind of plying his craft on the court at Venice you know uh and and he's he's a basketball hustler that's where that's how he makes his money and it's just mm -hmm. it's another thing about it is it's also it's so very LA and yeah. I think at that point, Ron Shuttle had been living in L.A. a while. And it's in L.A. when you live in L.A., everybody does something aside from what they really do, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's like, mm -hmm. you know, Sidney Dean's a contractor, but he's really a basketball player, um, you know. But what what a combination. I think to me, that's what makes the movie the chemistry between Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, they're great together. And uh, a lot of the side characters are great, too. Um, who was it? Uh, Marcus Johnson, right? When he goes in to get the gun and everybody jumps over um, over the fence. I'm going to go to my car, get my other gun, shoot everybody, you know, and then you see everyone split out of there. But, yeah, Woody Harrelson and Wesley Snipes are hilarious. Um, and, you know, uh, Snipes, uh, his character has uh, all the other side hustles that he has, but really for – for Billy Hoyle, all he does is play ball, right? And all he does is get out there, and like he says, it, it, it's hard making something this this pretty look like a chump or a geek, you know? But, mm. but that's what he does. He, he knows that when he walks on the court in these places that they're going to look at him, and here comes here comes the, the chump, right? So he's going to play that up, but then he's going to let him know when he gets out there on the court. But, of course, at the end of the day, the thing that, that is his weakness is – all he really wants, he wants to show everybody that he can dunk the basketball, you know. He can do all the other things. He can pass the ball. He can shoot the ball. He can play defense. Uh, and he loves to talk trash. But when they get him on that you can't dunk thing, you know, this is when 
the downfall of all these characters kind of in these hustle kind of movies like they they are kind of out to prove something you know uh and that and that really i mean he has his moment but it, it he loses he loses a lot in in making that bet that he's going to dunk the ball right I, i'm sure it's true a lot of places but it was probably about 10 years after the movie came out. You know, I, I moved to L.A. I was in grad school at UCLA, and I started playing at Culver City. I never played at Venice, but I used to play at the Culver City courts a lot. Yeah. And I remember about three or four days after I started playing, I'd play a couple times a week, and I'm like, wow, you know, white man, can't, that's really a thing. I mean, there's a Sidney Dean on every court in the city, you know. Yeah. So there's, you know, and I don't think it necessarily is uh, only exclusive to Los Angeles, Right. There's probably a guy like that at every court wherever you go, but it was amazing to me playing on that court how, wow, there's that one guy who just keeps talking the whole time he's on the court, and yeah. uh, it, it, you know, it, it was wild. And all the characters come in. I'd read that – you mentioned the Marcus Johnson scene. I think he plays Randy uh, who goes to the uh, – yeah. that, that was the inspiration for uh, – Ron Shelton used to play pickup ball in Hollywood, uh-huh. and one day there was just no game. And they said, well, he said, what's going on? And somebody said, oh, yeah, so-and-so went to his went to his glove compartment and, and, and shot a guy. you know. And then I guess the game he was in moved to the Hollywood YMCA. Right. So Shelton admits that he was kind of – Billy Hawes loosely based on him because he couldn't really do anything except shoot. He's an old baseball player, so he was, he was basically a shooter at these games. And uh, that's what gave him the idea to write this script about basketball. And he said it was Joe Roth was the first producer who was in on it with him. And he said he wrote about 40, 40, 40 pages of the script in one day, which is unheard of. You know, that's really interesting, but it is so relatable that there is at every pickup court that you're going to find, there's a guy out there talking trash. Um, if not more than one, right. And there's a hierarchy of who runs the court. And when you're stepping in, you got to find your place in this particular group of guys, you know, and basketball is really good for that it is you need to figure out how you're going to make it work with these guys who are out there on the court, you know, and Billy Hoyle, he has his whole thing where he knows he's going to be underestimated. So he's going to use that to his advantage. Right. You know, and, and it, it's great because the movie is about so many things, right? It's a movie yeah. about basketball. It's a movie about race in a lot of ways, and I, you know it's funny because there they was talk about it. they're still talking about a remake, and I don't know if the movie they make in 1992 could be remade to, today the way they make it, but yeah. fundamentally it, it's a movie about trust in a lot of different ways, right. and it's about yeah. you know because you mentioned the hustle aspect of it, and so the movie opens in the opening sequence Woody hustles Wesley, right, mm-hmm. and then they kind of hustle together. And then you know, it's, you know, the movie's been it's almost 30 years. So I, I, if I'm if I'm spoiling it for you, sorry. You should everybody should really see the movie. And mm-hmm. then and then Wesley kind of hustles Woody, and that's when the trust in the movie kind of twists. That's a that's the first reversal we get in the movie. I think it's right before, right after they hustle together, and before uh, Snipes hustles Harrelson. Right, that they have the talk in the car where it's like you can't hear Jimi Hendrix, right? And he says, I can hear Jimi. You know, he says, you know, and then Rosie says, you know, Jimi Hendrix had a white rhythm section, you know? So it's this white black discussion that they're having in the car. But what I kind of take is like, you can't hear him. You can only listen to him is, you know, you, you don't know what the experience of being black is like, right? Like where you walk into a room uh, and that's the first thing that people notice about you is that you're a person of color. If you walk into a room full of uh, white people, right? You, you can't know what that's like. I mean, everyone notices that, then it's up to them what they're, how they're gonna react to it. But Woody kind of uses that to his benefit uh, in the opposite way on the basketball court where he's going into these places where it's primarily black people, almost always in the movie you're seeing him play against black guys. And they're underestimating him, and in large part because he's a white guy. He he takes that, but then he accentuates it by dressing up like a like a chump, as he says, right? And then he plays off of it. But that's just on the on the basketball court, right? I mean, th- that's that's a much different uh, comparison than to 
uh, what Wesley Snipes is, his character would have to be dealing with on a day-to-day basis, well, right? And that's and that's the flip, right? And that's Shelton. That's the flip. It's like yeah. that's that's really what it is. That's the flip to kind of the the overall theme of the movie is that now kind of Woody is the guy. He's the outlier. Yeah. Where where we, you know whereas whereas in other you know in, in in general society you know Wesley's the outlier, but in this in this realm in this world that Woody is the outlier. Um, but that doesn't mean he doesn't love it as much as all the other guys in it. And I think yeah. that's a great point. And that's what I love about, I mean, Shelton, you know, and Matt and I were talking about this in terms of Bull Durham, that that was great that you brought that up because what I think Ron Shelton does so much so well, is just the little subtlety, the human, the subtlety in the human interaction is yeah. that if you watch how the characters interact in this movie and particularly it's obviously it's Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson and Rosie Price as well. If you watch their interaction, he gets all the narrative in. Whereas in a movie today, you know, like, you know, you mentioned the conversation in the car. That's about a 15 second conversation. They drop him off at his at his at his at his apartment when they drop when Woody Harrelson and Rosie Perez drop Wesley Snipes off at his apartment today. That would be about three scenes to explain that that interaction. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. But they they drop him off at uh, Vista View where there ain't no Vista and they're darn sure ain't no view as his <laughs> wife says right? and at the dumpy apartments that he has to hustle to to have his family in. But then the resolution to that scene, as you talk about kind of uh, doing it quickly without having to really explain it and lay it all out is the two uh, girlfriends or maybe maybe Wesley Snipes character is his wife. I don't remember. But uh, Gloria, Rosie's uh, character, they're talking about how they're going to work this out because Woody just got hustled by Wesley. And as the women are talking it out, they're over there watching the Lakers play. Right. And they're all together watching sports, not thinking about color. Right. At that point, you know, because they're all just sports fans. But it's still there that has to be worked out under the surface and then at the surface throughout really the rest of the movie. What's interesting is uh, so, I mean, obviously, Wesley and Woody make the movie and they're just so good and they're so organic in how they play their their uh, their parts. And what's interesting is, I guess I was reading, you know, when when Wesley Snipes came out for the movie, um, he's a great athlete, but wasn't much of a basketball player. He was, yeah. you, know, you could tell he had it on, and they had worked together in a movie with Goldie Hawn called Wildcats. Oh so, yeah, I like that movie too, Gazal. <laughs> when, 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 but when they got when they got on the court, they had chemistry, not necessarily basketball chemistry, but they yeah. had chemistry with each other in terms, of, you know, because he just. So part of it was they made a decision that I want to get guys who can actually look like they're competent on the court because I think the original combination they they had dreamed up, the studio wanted Denzel Washington. And Keanu Reeves. And I guess Denzel tapped out because he was going to do Malcolm X. And he'd worked with Wesley Snipes on Mo Betta Blues, but he tapped out to do Malcolm X. And then Keanu Reeves apparently wasn't, didn't look credible on the basketball court. The studio really pushed him. But he yeah. didn't look credible on the basketball court, um, so that that that's one great little wrinkle in there. And well, then well, ben um, was in a basketball movie shortly after I think he got game with Ray Allen, right, where he played his dad. Yeah. And I heard him telling an anecdote where at the end of that movie, where they're playing one on one, that he went at Ray Allen. He wasn't supposed to in the movie get early buckets, but he went right at him in the beginning yeah. and got a baskets while ray allen was you know new to acting not quite sure what to do and denzel's out there talking a little trash before ray is like oh okay this is going to be a real thing and then, <laughs> and then he, in the film right but yeah i mean i i don't think that woody harrelson displayed great basketball form or anything neither did wesley snipes necessarily in the scene but it was competent and to me it was believable and the way they shot it i enjoyed all of the basketball scenes immensely just the way they put it together and you know, as you and I were discussing movies that we might talk about, uh, you know, you had mentioned some football movies. And um, what, what's the Pacino one, uh, uh, the football movie where he gives you a great Sunday, Any given Sunday. Any given Sunday. I, I actually, like, when I watch certain movies where they really do these quick camera movements to try to ramp up the action, which they do in this, it's like they put the camera, like, right on a guy as he's getting tackled. I remember watching it in the theater and it was disorienting to me and I, I had to leave the theater, you know. So I don't like it when movies really do that. And you went to film school, I think, so you, you may know kind of some of these techniques. But 
the technique that they use to shoot the basketball scenes here, whatever it is, even though they're not great players, however they shot it, it worked for me, and I really enjoyed watching it. Yeah, now what what they would do is they would script they would script the scripted parts. This guy makes this shot and whatnot, and then they would just film them playing. Uh-huh. Um, apparently, uh, there was a scene that took for I think I want to say maybe it was the opening scene because neither Wesley or Woody could hit any shots. That scene, the op- the the first hustle when he hustles Wesley Snipes. Um, yeah. It, you know, he's like, hey, every shot that we took was real. There was nothing created. They had to make those shots. It just took us a long time to get, I guess yeah. they each, they each took five shots. Well, so it was a, took a day you had to adjust six inches to the left or the right. Right. As, as they say, <laughs> it was a double rim, which is really hard to shoot on. Sometimes it can brick right out. There, so I understand. <laughs> uh, so Rosie Perez obviously played the girlfriend, Gloria. She wants to get on jeopardy. And that was a big, that was, that was a big part. And she's fantastic in that role. What's interesting, what I was reading, originally they wanted it to be Holly Hunter. They wanted her to be kind of a Southern Belle, which if you watch the movie, you're like, okay, I get it. That makes that makes sense. I mean, not that Rosie Price didn't do a great job. She really pulled it off. The other person that was in line for that role was Rachel Griffiths. And okay. I forget the circumstance of how Rosie got to read somehow. I, you know, Obviously, she had known somebody or somebody had worked with her on something because she'd done Do the Right Thing by that point. And that was kind of the big thing that she had done. And they bought her in, and apparently she just wowed the room. And yeah. The, we got to find a if she you know we got to find a role for her, and they all thought he was coming in to read for the role of Wesley Snipes' wife and girlfriend. She's like, no, 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 I'm here to read for Gloria, and yeah. it was I, I think it was just brilliant, inspired casting. A hundred percent, you know, and those other actresses you named are great, but having seen this film as many times as I have, I cannot imagine anyone else playing that part. Um, the Jeopardy storyline. I didn't when I remember when I first watched the movie, like what, where are they going with this? Like what what's going on with this? But it turned out, I mean, it's just it's the aspiration. And uh, Rosie Perez talked about, you know, I love Alex. I was a big fan of Alex Trebek. So the worst part of the movie for her was doing a scene because she was nervous to do the scene with Alex Trebek, you know. And there are a couple there are a couple of there's a couple of love scenes in it which she had no problem doing. She said it got nervous, but she'd been friends with Woody Harrelson because they yeah. both been in New York, so she was cool with that. But the Alex Trebek scene apparently was the toughest scene for her to do in that movie. Interesting. Very, and you know, those it's so funny when she's going through the sports category, you know, and who is Babe Ruth and the whole thing, you know, and they're sitting there in the the audience. They know those answers, but nothing else, of course, you know, it was, it was great. It was a highlight of the film. Uh, uh, Another side note was that the judges that were on the scene uh, in the scene are actually real jeopardy judges. So they, they, they they gave that extra layer of authenticity. That's what really would happen if there was a, instead of, she says Suvius instead of Vesuvius, yeah. And uh, they, they, they give it to her. I was reading there saying, yeah, probably in reality she would not have gotten it. Um, uh, but the other so, – so Interesting sidebar, by the way. My wife was on Jeopardy, and I too wow. have also wanted to dunk a basketball. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I relate. But, yeah, I was very proud of my wife for, for yeah. making it on Jeopardy a few years back. Oh, that's great. Oh, she, she actually got on the show. She did, yeah, yeah. We were there in the studio audience to watch, and she did, she did great. She didn't win, but it was awesome. That's great. That's fantastic. So yeah, you kind of lived some of this, huh? That's right, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> um, so the Ven- the Venice courts are are a big part of this movie, and what I find interesting is, you know, I L- there's so many movies shot in L.A. and there's like movie L.A. and there's like real L.A. And and in this sense, Ron Shelton not being a native, I think maybe helped him a little bit because there's a to me, there's a shred of authenticity. You know, it's like the three guys were singing to open the the, I forget the name of the band. I think they're called the Venice Boys. They're the three crooners on Venice Beach. And if you've ever been to Venice Beach, you know, there's always people performing and singing and and, and all that stuff. And it just gets a real I got a real true feel. I could almost, you know. Uh, what, what is the line in the in the eagle song? The smell of colitas. I could almost, I could almost, you know, the the yeah. the uh, the uh, the the aroma that you see feel when you go down to Venice Beach. Oh yeah, I had never been there when I first saw the film as what a a 15 year old in Northern California. But yeah, they're they're singing a cappella, 
and he goes and he lays down on the court just waiting for a game and then the ball goes through that chain net and ching he makes the sound and then all of a sudden it's game on and you are right there uh the deeper i don't know the deeper questions of this movie in terms of both of the characters of sydney dean and billy hoyle what did you see what was the what was the greater want for both of these guys well, I, I think for Billy, the, the want was really to be uh, respected as, as an equal among these guys and to be seen as and, and to be the best on, on the street, right? Uh, be the best basketball player out there. Um, and he was really willing to give it all up in, in order to get that right at the end where he's faced with the choice like, Okay, he's he's just he's just done it. His, you know, his, and his wife is uh, has made a lot of money, or his girlfriend, uh, and you know, thing, things could be good. Um, but he has to take on the big bet uh, and and the big game against the king and the duck, right? Um, and to him, the ultimate validation I think comes when he finally goes up and catches that alley oop and dunks it, which is this huge cathartic moment. It's great, you know. I still I've probably seen the movie. Ten times, I always get excited when I, when I see it, right? And as far as Sidney Dean, um, you know, I, I think he wants to be also the, the baddest guy on the court, but probably his number one priority, I think, he shows is taking care of his family, uh, and he sees basketball more as a way to supplement his income than he does uh, a way to boost his ego, which I think is really what where Billy is, is uh, he, he wants others to see him, you know, even though he dresses up as the chump, he wants them to see him as the, the best player out there at the end of the day. The the one subplot with Billy owing, you know, Billy and Rosie, uh, Billy and Gloria, they're in debt. They have debts to the, this group. And, yeah. and it, it, it hints back to his past in basketball that he was supposed to throw a game and didn't throw a game. And now he's in debt to these gangsters. Right. Yeah. His, you know, he, he needed the money, but his pride wouldn't, wouldn't let him do it, you know, but he's still always around the hustle and he couldn't do it for the, you know, kind of the evil way of, of hustling, right. And the illegal way of doing it. And that's what puts him on the run for the whole film. Uh, it's, they each have their code, you know, Sidney Dean has a code and Billy Hoyle has a code and it kind of clashes at sometimes, but in the end, so we get, we get, what's interesting is that they have the big, um, you know, the big tournament in Vegas, which they win. So spoiler alert, uh, against King and Duck, as you mentioned, but there's a good, there's a good 30 or 40 minutes after they win to really resolve the issues between the characters. And that's another thing that Ron Shelton is really, really good at in the sense that, yeah, this movie is about sports, but really it's about kind of the human aspect of the sports beyond what's on the, on the court or on the field. And that was the big part of, you know, he talked about when he wrote Bull Durham, it came from his experience as a minor leaguer where the most interesting stories are not about the game. Right. And, I think so. He did. He did uh, Bull Durham, and between Bull Durham and um, and White Man Can't Jump, he did a movie called Blaze with Lola Davidovich, and then went back into the sports for a, you know the sports uh, 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 universe. But although this movie is about basketball, at the same time, it's really about the relationships between these two guys and about the layers and levels. How do you build trust? And you see the trust, obviously, you know, with 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 Woody and Wesley, because they hustle each other. That's the one aspect of it. They need to get over it. But also the relationships between uh, Wesley and his wife and Woody, Billy Hoyle's character and Gloria, the girlfriends, they go through, you know, like kind of a roller coaster with regard to the trust that they have between the two of them. Uh, you know, I, and you mentioned you mentioned the end scene, which is which, which uh, like or the, right before they go for that final big game downtown LA against King and duck. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they, I mean, they've won the tournament, right. And, uh, against, uh, the guy with the high top and right there, they're trash talking and B where's my bean pies, you know, brick, brick, brick. You're going to build, build a house with all these bricks. Right. And he's getting in their head and that's, that's all fun. Right. He's trash talking, but at the end of it, like they've won, he's won the game, but then they say, you know, why didn't you dunk that? Right. And then it's and then he's like, oh, 
like I'm they don't see me as as equal as them. Like even though he's tr- done all this trash talk and he's won and he can go home to his woman and be fine. Then they're in the car on the way home. He and Wesley Snipes. And it's like, you know, I could have dunked that. And then Wesley's like, OK, whatever. He's not he's not challenging him anymore. Like they've done it. Yeah. Right? But but somewhere in Billy Hoyle's mind, he still has something to prove that he can dunk the ball. But really, who cares? Right. I mean, I would like to dunk a ball, too. Like, I get it. Right. But are you going to throw throw it all away to prove something that, you know, it, it doesn't even matter at the end of the day? It, it's great because what's the argument they have? Billy Hoyle tells Sydney, hey, white guy wins first, look good second. Black guys, they want to look good first and win second. And now we've, again, so the subtlety of it, there's not a big discussion about it. It's right. a subtle twist. So it's, you know, it's the human aspect of, you know, we accuse people of what we fear in ourselves. Yeah, yeah. And, and that, exactly yeah. Right. yeah. What is Woody trying to do by when he can dunk? He's trying to look good. He's trying yeah. to say, look at me. I can do the ultimate feat of athletic excellence. I can get up and jam the ball. But really, that's two points either way, right? Whether you lay it in or dunk it, it's two points either way. So obviously, again, spoiler alert, um, he doesn't dunk the ball, and he loses the money to right. he loses the money to uh, Wesley Snipes, and at the end, so Gloria goes on Jeopardy and she wins, and so they got a pretty good lifestyle. And he's decided, okay, basketball's done for me. I got to go find myself a job. And she's going to give him money to get clothes for interviews. And that's all decided. And who do they run into right on Ocean Boulevard in front of the Shangri-La? I know very, very well. I had a friend who used to work there. They run into Sidney Dean, who calls them with the game because the the King and Duck are back in town. Right. Yeah. And at that point, like, that's actually a hard choice, right? Like, Dunking, betting your money to dunk the ball, like that's your fault. You're dumb. You should not have done that. That's you, but, but right. But but at the point then where you have to decide, okay, do I want like to to my the dream that I have chased to this point of my life to beat the best street ball players that there are, and I feel like I'm at the top of my game, but I'm also at the end of my limit of how far I can push my gambling habits with my wife or girlfriend with uh, Gloria. So, you know, he, but he decides I, I choose. I, and at the end of the day, I guess it shows that he didn't, he didn't care about Gloria as much as he cared about playing ball and being thought of as the best street baller there was, right? Cause that's the choice that he made. You know, we had the discussion about the COVID and, and the cancellation of these events and, you know, and, you know, I get, these games I do, I get compensated, obviously, you know, and, and it was tough because, you know, they bang the basketball season, they bang the baseball season, which, you know, is going to take income out of my pocket. But it was funny because about a week afterwards, I'm thinking to myself, it really, I mean, listen, we all like to get compensated. I, I'm not saying that I don't, but it really is about the, 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 the moment. It's about the, the reality of it. It's about sitting at courtside and doing what you're good at, right. you know, and, he needed the money to get into the game, if that makes any sense. But to Woody, I don't think the game was about the money at all. Right. Because if the game was about the money, he would have taken his $2,500 from the Venice tournament and pocketed it and wouldn't have bet it that he could dunk a basketball, right, yeah. in the yeah. end. So, and, and that's really what it is. And I, there's a narrative that annoys me in sports. You know, when people talk about the love of the game, oh, these guys play for the love of the game. With the idea that guys who get paid a lot of money to play a game don't love it, which mm-hmm. to me is completely untrue because being around athletes, man, you want to talk about pride. You know, no guy or woman who I know that's ever played sports at a high level is happy no matter how much you pay them with, with losing, you know, <laughs> or with not right. showing out the best they can potentially show out. And and that's the question. So to me, there's a huge difference the dunking we talked about, that's hubris. Yeah. But the the $2,000 that she gives him to go play in that tournament, to me, that's pro- That's just pride in being able to compete against yeah. the best people at the highest level. Right. Yeah. And it's it's the action and the competition 
and all that, which has been his life since forever, since whenever he was playing, what did he say he played at Louisville, college ball, got hurt, whatever the backstory is, right? Um, and yeah, and right. I, I mean, and th- there is that great moment at, at the end, uh, but he does, I guess, lose the girl, right, out of, out of the deal. He made his choice. Um. Okay, you mentioned uh, uh, Marcus Johnson is pretty funny in it. Um, kind of the unhinged, you know, the player on the court it was loosely based on a true story. Uh, Kadeem Hardison has a nice role uh, as, yeah. as 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 Sydney's buddy wearing the Chicago Bulls jersey and kind of the trash talker. And that was the in the opening scene they have the you know the mama jokes going back and forth. And yes. they were talking about that was that was one aspect of the audition. And he said that they just let him they let him ad lib a lot of those. And there were some really yeah. good ones that they had to cut out because Ron Shelton felt they kind of overstepped as creative as they were. They overstepped what he was trying to do with, with, with that, with that aspect of it. Yeah. I mean, I can't tell you how many times my friends and I on the court would just do those lines. You know, I mean, we must've done that for a couple months afterwards, you know, uh, just kidding around with each other, you know, the mama jokes and the, we go and sizzler, you know, all that <laughs> I mean, the opening scene just sets the tone for the whole thing. It, it wrote me right in. And, you know, I mean, it came out, I think, like I said, when I was 15. So I think a lot of, uh, whether it be music or movies, certain things that hit you at a certain age can maybe stay with you uh, for a long time. And, I mean, I think the movie still holds up in a lot of ways, too. Oh, it really does hold up. I, I was surprised at how much it holds up. I was yeah. really surprised at how well it holds up. I mean, I expected it to hold up. I mean, sports movies tend to hold up a little bit, you know. But really, I mean, you could you – know, when I read – after I watched it, I'd read they were going to look at a remake. I'm like, do you really want to remake that? And I'm like, yeah, you could really – you could remake it today. It would be a different yeah. movie. You couldn't make that movie. But I could right. see how that story still yes. would be resonant today. The theme would resonate, yeah. You know, like, like anything that you, you care about, and this is one of my favorite movies, I, I would just hope that they do it well and do it right if they do it again. You know? Michael B. Jordan was the guy they wanted to have play Sidney Dean, the new Sidney Dean. So, yeah. that, you know, that would be that would be a good bit of casting. What's something that you loved about this movie that nobody else gets or nobody else, you, you, you know, you find that people don't, don't really, hadn't really remembered? Uh... Gosh, I, I, I don't know. I mean, the main thing I was really thinking about recently was was the, you know, you can't hear Jimmy scene, you know, and, and really yeah. uh, kind, of, kind of what that what that means, you know. And when I watched it when I was younger, it didn't it didn't quite resonate with me quite as much. But um, certainly as kind of race has been talked about or not talked about um, in, in recent years and led to more problems. Uh, that scene resonates with me in, in a bit in a bigger way, you know. Um, and it, it's it's easy. I mean, the movie is called White Man Can't Jump, right? Uh, so it's the title is right there for you. Um, but it's more than just like, okay, can white guys jump or not, right? I mean, that that's the most basic way of looking at it, you know. Which I learned to not be true the first time I went to uh, UC Santa Barbara men's volleyball game when I got to Santa Barbara and these guys are jumping three or four feet off the floor, right? They're not playing basketball, they're they're playing volleyball and they're springing up like crazy, right? So it's like let's put aside that particular athletic stereotype and then let's look at the actual interaction here, but between uh, the races and and let's try to understand what uh, someone's life perspective is that's not ours I, you bring up a very relevant scene how many i guess you talk about politics you can hear and it actually goes beyond race of how we listen but don't hear yeah i mean how, yeah. How, I mean, that's such an apt metaphor for how things are work right now in a lot of different ways particularly in the situation we're in right now uh, that is very apt, and I, I didn't pick up. I mean, I did pick up on it, but not the way you just explained it. Uh, that's that is that's really apt. I mean, it's really uh, very applicable to our situation right now. Right. What's going on? And the first thing that I think many people want to react to is to get defensive. No, no, I understand. And instead of saying, "No, well, hang on," like tell me a little bit more about that. You know, like help me help me to understand, right? And instead of getting defensive about it. I had a there was a young young broadcaster on Twitter and he kind of put out this story about 
you know, um, broad play-by-play guys of color. He put it out. You know, just put it out. So, you know, I kind of joke with him and I said, hey, um, I don't want to get into this with you on, you know, in public, but let's de- let's go on the DMs and we'll talk about it. And he had some frustrated yeah. some experiences that were pretty fr- – he's a younger guy. So he had some frustrating experiences going on. And it was funny. The, a, guy, a third guy came in, a broadcaster that I wouldn't have expected – he said, "Hey, I just I didn't even I've never even thought about that in regard to the two of you. I'd love to hear your perspective on it, which I thought was pretty cool that he actually yeah. had the had the interest in wanting to listen to, you know, how two guys who maybe didn't come up the same way he did, did to, about a, a topic that was rela- you know re- relatable to all, all three of us. Um yeah. but I, I you know, it it, it it kind of brings out one of the themes that Ron Shelton wanted to push is that on the court you are who you are on the court. You know, I mean, I always I used to talk about 90 is 94 feet of truth. OK, we can before we get on the court, Scott, you and I, we can talk all we want. But once you get on the court, you can either play or you can't play. And yeah. that's that 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 to me is one of the great equalizers in life in general and with sports. And it, it's joked that sometimes in this country in aspects of uh, of, of American life. That kind of sports may be the la- I mean, there's Everybody's going to argue they're going to nitpick stuff, but on a general level, sports may be the last true meritocracy that we have in this country. Yeah, I, I mean, you bring up a great point, you know, and uh, race is a very difficult thing to uh, to talk about, right? Especially in a, a sense of broadcasting, right? You feel and as as a white guy talking about race, you know, I've had. Uh, I used to have a sports talk radio show in like 2012, 13, somewhere in there. And occasionally there's things about race that come up in relation to sports that uh, you need to talk about and you do talk about. And maybe you want to talk about it more. But honestly, I've had the thought to myself, like, there's very little upside to me talking about this right now because I'm putting myself in a situation where I could say something, not not to think that not, – not even to think that I, I'm – I mean, just – Something could come out. Maybe it's misconstrued. I don't know, right? Yeah. But I. But that's. But if I don't talk about stuff and we don't talk about stuff together, how do we ever move forward and understand each other better, right? And you bring up a great point about sports in that when you're all working toward the same goal, you don't think about that, and and you can begin to see others uh, as part of your family of of sports, you know, and. We're talking about football earlier, and, and I do see football in some ways as as maybe I don't know if it's the best, but in my experience, you know, you get the the greatest variety of people, not even necessarily races sometimes, but you know, you get the out of people, you get the really smaller athletic guys who just want to run, and you know, then you get the, the more cerebral guys. You get a good mix of, of people, and yet you have to all get on the same page and work towards a, a common goal. And that part, getting on the same page, working towards a common goal, applies to any team sport. And that can do nothing but help in terms of relations between people as far as I'm concerned. I saw Jerry West speak this uh, in August. I saw Jerry West speak uh, in the in the, at the at the Lakeside Country Club, and he came in and, you know, he he starts his speech by talking about, you know, hey, I'm a patriot, and he'd received a, he'd received an um an award from the president before that, but he also kind of kind of makes a U-turn in the speech, and he says, you know, I don't ever tell anybody I don't see color, because. Right. I can learn something. You know, I think that I'm about, you know, I, he thinks my strength in life is how I've learned to deal with people. And if somebody's different from me, I just feel I can learn from them and I would hope they can learn from me. And he, not only that, he's like, it's my duty. You know, it's, 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 I need to, to make things better for myself and for everybody else. It's incumbent upon me to learn, you know, like we're talking about li- hearing versus listening, right? Listening versus hearing. That's kind of the point he was making is that, you know, I see things in a very certain way, but that doesn't mean that this person that I meet who sees things in a different way. And he talks about, I think he talked about Oscar Robertson being one of his greatest friends. You know, they had played together on the Olympic team, I think in 1960. And he talks about how his relationship with Oscar Robertson and other people, other guys that he had played with that he learned so much from that were from completely different circumstances than he was. 
you know, kind of underlying that point they're just trying to make about this movie. And that's one thing I like about what Ron Shelton was doing is that he doesn't try to make it idyllic or perfect, you know? I mean, heck, they both hustle each other in the movie, right. you know? Right. And they come to this level of trust because it's almost like kind of game recognizes games. Like, okay, you got me, I got you, and now let's yeah. kind of circle the wagons and see what we can do for each other. Right, yeah. Uh, well, what a, what a great thing uh, you repeated there from Jerry West. I, I admire him a lot, uh, and you know I'm trying to do better at, at that kind of thing myself every day. Uh, and you're right, yeah, there, there's not, you know, I don't think there's too many people who are having this in-depth in of a conversation about White Man Can't Jump because they're not hammering these points home. But they are there in the midst of uh, a really funny, relatable, um, yeah. good movie, you know? Well, that's what makes it great, too, Scott, is that he just presents it, you know? Yeah. And again, it's weird because you watch the movie. And, I, and after I watched the movie, I read all these articles. And I'm like, wow, that, that, that is filmmaking when you're presenting these thoughts. You know, it, they all came from observations that he had. Because he talks, you know, he talked about, hey, going to get going to the glove compartment. That's something that really happened, and how he constructs the whole scene around it with what Marcus Johnson's character did was just that's his that's his you know his twist, his artistic you know merit that he throws in there, and, and that's what I thought was really interesting. Because he said, hey, I really did set out to make a movie about race, but what I made it about were what I could extract from my experiences on the basketball court. And, right. you know, and that's what I like. It's like he could have very easily cast one guy as the villain and one guy as the, you know, as, as the baby face or whatever. And it's like we go back and forth, right? There are times we love yeah. Sidney Dean and there are times we really don't like Sidney Dean. There are times we love Billy Hoyle and there are times we don't really like Billy Hoyle. And that, to me, is is a skilled filmmaker really executing his craft and i i don't know you're i'm sure you are too i'm a huge ron shelton guy and so i was so yeah. impressed at, at this take on, on his with basketball i believe he may be from santa barbara i know he has some connection to he went santa to high Bar school he went to high school in santa barbara yeah yeah and you know bull durham another great film and then that would be in my my top five of, of sports films so uh, there's two of my, for sure, two of my top five, both Ron Shelton films, uh, you know, very realistic, great sports action, but uh, just as much of the human interaction, it, it's just as important. All right. Give me a final thought. What's your, what's your final word on white men can't jump? <laughs> uh, I don't know. We, we've said it all. I feel right now after this discussion, just like Billy Hoyle did after he grabbed it and dunked it at the end, you know, let's just put an exclamation point on it <laughs> and call it game. <laughs> all right. Well, hey, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you for keeping the community informed, too. It's very important. And hopefully we can ride this out. And uh, let's sit down again sometime. Uh, when you think of another movie you want to talk about, let me know. We'll do it again. I'd love to, Gazal. It was great fun talking with you. The great Scott Hennessy. Uh, a, a tremendous gaucho, as Steve Went would say. Um, and uh, a news anchor at KCOY and KFXX uh, in Santa Barbara, man. And loved working with you. It was always fun. And glad to see you doing uh, doing what you're doing now. Thanks, Gazal. I hope to uh, see you back on the sideline. I hope the games get going again soon. I hope everybody out there stays healthy and stays safe. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Scott.